When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When we were talking about the name, some people were even worried it was maybe too strong. She is your neighbor. What about she could be your neighbor? It's not just that it could be happening to your neighbor, it, it is happening. We're just gonna get set over here. People don't talk about domestic violence, they don't talk about women's shelters. You kind of knew it happened or these things existed, but it just was kind of under the radar. A lot of people are still existing kind of in that shame and stigma that has surrounded domestic violence for so long. Are you ready? Yes. Coming forward and telling your story is very intimidating. This is the scariest thing that's ever happened to them. It's the most intense thing that's ever happened to them. And one of the bravest things that you can do. Okay, Colette, I'd like you to look right here at me. All right. Back in 1997, I was almost murdered by my ex-boyfriend. I kicked him out of my house after three months of living with me, and he came back seven months later and tried to kill me. He called that night to tell me he was coming to retrieve his things. At 11.40, he kicked my door down. I remember trying to get to the knife drawer before him. He took the biggest knife in the drawer and turned me around and slit my throat. I ran to my parents' house. I didn't make it there. He dragged me back, and he stabbed me 37 times. Police came, I was rescued, taken to the hospital, and after that was the trial. He got nine years for attempted murder, two years for forcible confinement. He went to prison and I tried to get on with my life. When you suffer trauma like I suffered, you already carry so much shame and you feel like people don't want to hear it. They say it's been long enough now, keep going, uh, forget about it. Society makes you feel like you've done something wrong uh, because you didn't leave early enough or you didn't kick them out early enough. I never saw those signs because I didn't understand that, you know? When he would call me 20 times a day, I thought he was calling because he loved me. The one thing that I would have needed would have been a person like me to talk to. I think there could be a misconception with folks thinking that if it's that bad, why are women not leaving? If there's bruises, that is what violence looks like, but essentially violence has many different forms. We kind of see a mix of all types of people. At any time, we're either at capacity or very close to capacity, and about half of our residents at all times are children. 
There's no really one type of woman that this is happening to. Even if you see news stories about domestic violence, like the standard stock image is always the same thing. It's usually like a woman leaning against a wall, her face in her hands, upset, you know, just depicting someone who's really broken. I think sometimes it's just too much to take, so it, it would make people turn away. We need people to feel like, oh, this is something I want to be on board with. This is something I care about. This is something I'm proud to talk about supporting. Domestic violence has been about shame and hiding and secrecy, but it's just, just amazing, uh, the strength of the people that, that live here and some of the stories that I've heard of. It felt like something that really I had to do, like that we had to do, that we had to share these stories um, to really change the narrative. And then we kind of talked about how could we do this? How could we share photos and show people in a different light? We really wanted to do a campaign where people talked about domestic violence, understood what it was, and understood kind of how close to home it was. They were talking about what she is. Like she, you know, she's a mom, she's a sister. She's not just, you know, a victim. She could be anybody. We came up with uh, the slogan, she is your neighbor. We thought that really kind of represented what we were trying to get at. It's happening in your neighborhood, kind of whether you like it or not. And it's something we need to recognize and talk about. Hey, you lovely lot, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and The Intelligence Cell and to part two of this fascinating conversation with Shiro Colette Martin. And what I will say is that in part two, you're not going to believe the things that Colette shares with me, not just about what happened, but also the aftermath, what happened afterwards about what people did and what they said. You really need to hear it all for yourselves. I also just want to say... I pay huge tribute to Colette for sharing her story and being so authentic. It's a privilege to be able to listen and watch someone like Colette. So please, in your comments, show your support. It really does mean the world to her and also other victims and survivors who can see your supportive comments. It means the world to them and it may well just save a life. Without further ado, let's dive back into this really important life-changing and life-saving conversation. That's why it's so important that when you have other professionals almost colluding with the perpetrator and silencing you, making you feel it's like something you did, we're never really going to root out these individuals and these perpetrators. I would say 80 percent, well, we know that the majority of the domestic violence and the sexual abuse and the stalking, it's committed by the same perpetrators. And that's why it's so important to have law change so that we have disclosure schemes and we talk about that. We have registers that these individuals are on and that helps with this cultural shift so that we take the responsibility, the ownership, the blame that can sit with the victim and we switch it back to the person where it belongs and that their histories follow them and that other women and girls are protected and that they can ask questions about someone's history, but there's a proactive duty and it's a cultural shift to focus on the perpetrators. 
all across the world, Colette, you know, and slowly people are waking up to it. But it's been one of my biggest battles around serial perpetrators, not just having a disclosure scheme, i.e. you have the right to ask, the right to know, but the proactive duty on the police and others to actually identify these serial perpetrators and to look at them and say, right, Derek, look at all this history on him. We need to do something about him because he's escalating and he's going to be a problem. And then start to think about that problem solving. How do we stop him? And we did that in London back in 2001, two, three, four, five, and then it stopped. And we know that it works when that happens. But I want to see it all across the world where it's taken that seriously. And it's really important. Your story is a testament to, again, why it's so important to do that. This has been quite the journey, but I started sharing my story actually about probably like 15 years ago. I have to say that right after I was very, very sick for like the first 10 years after, I don't think I even knew where I was. I always describe it as I was just floating. I went on with my life, but, you know, I always say I, I didn't touch the ground. And um, I started sharing my story actually at a, with an Indigenous community not far from where I lived. My friends, I had a best friends there, and uh, they called me one day and they said, like, why don't you come and share your story with us? It, it, was, it was at the band hall, and it was a big, event that day and all the students from the community college were going to be there and it was all first responders and they thought you know like my story would have a big impact so that was the first time we shared this story and then I kept doing it like little bits you know the outreach worker man she she would call and say come and share your story with policing class or whatever one time I did I did go share my story with the policing class until one of the police officers stood me, got up, and he said, it was so bad, why didn't you just leave if it was so bad? And I remember the outreach worker, she was so, she was so mad. She got up and she said, why don't you ask the perpetrator why he abuses? You know, and he said, well, I'm just asking what everybody else would be at, wants to know. And that set me back for a lot of years because... I didn't know what to answer you. You know, I was still going through all of that. Of course. And then I, you know, I started again. And, and then a couple of years ago, it'll be four years, my mom passed in November. And she was on her deathbed and she told me to get rid of everything that hurt me. And then COVID hit. And then I thought, oh my God, what did mom mean, you know? And then we thought about it and thought about it. Me and my son, Evelyn, we tried to figure out what message she had in those words. And then one day, Evan come up with the computer and he said, Mom, start writing your story. We're going to write your, your story and we're going to get a book made and we're going to sell the books and then you'll share your story with the world. And that's how it started. So it was really weird because we sat down at the table and he put his laptop there. I had no social media. I didn't, I didn't have no nothing. Anyway, he said, we're going to sign you up on this. We're going to sign you up on that. And all of a sudden, he says, oh, he said, it's your friend's birthday today. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's January 21st and it's your birthday today. And he said, oh, my God. I said, Evan, that's the exact day, 25 
years after I met him at the same time almost. Oh my goodness. So that was, for me, that was a sign that I was doing exactly what I was meant to do. And that's how it all started. And I just made a little video of myself and put on that video. It's on, it's a real on my, on my Instagram. And it, it just says, my name is Colette Martin. 24 years ago, I was almost murdered by my ex-boyfriend. I made it through and so can you. And that's all I said in that little video. And all of a sudden, this beautiful lady from Australia contacted me. Her name was Melissa Clare. She's an actress and a producer out there. And she contacted me and she said, why don't you join our campaign in Australia? And then COVID was on and uh, they had started doing virtual calls because all the women and children stuck at home with the perpetrators. So they started doing, and so I started with the Y campaign not long after. And uh, I was with the Y campaign just a few months. And then I was all, on the piano, like I was a guest speaker with all the ministers and, you know, law enforcement and all that stuff out in Australia. And that's how it all took off. And it's absolutely incredible. I don't even know how all of this happened. I know, you know, I know it's God sent and it's the universe. And, you know, once I decided this is what I wanted to do, it's just like the universe just grabbed me and said, hold on, because this is what we're going to do then. <laughs> Absolutely. But remember, it's you making all of this happen. You know, you created the energy, you knew what to do. Your mom sent you messages and made it very clear, even though you felt it was cryptic, but stepping <laughs> into your power and the power of doing that and owning your story. You describe floating because you're disconnected and then you reconnect with what happened and you start to use your voice and I, I find it very interesting, Colette. I'll, I'll just share this. You know, your voice was almost taken, yeah. right? He slit your throat and almost silenced you forever. And then you find a way to take your power back and are doing so in such an incredible way, sharing your story with multiple campaigns to ensure that others understand that they're not alone. The way that you described, you know, what happened when you first got together, this feeling that you're special but actually it was all control-related behavior and the jealousy and the, the fact that you and your son, when you eventually kicked him out, you're dancing with your music up tells me the relief that you both felt to get this individual who's literally closing down your, both your worlds and laying down these rules when it's not even his home. It was exactly. yours. But the fact you're dancing tells me the relief and the release. But sometimes you don't know how you even got there to that position. You don't even know that you, like you said, that you feel that level of release and relief that someone's now out of your life. But your son sounds amazing as well. He's amazing. He's 31 now. He'll be 32 soon. He's built a beautiful life for himself. He has a beautiful girlfriend. They're about to have a baby, my first grandchild. Oh, congratulations. I have two other beautiful boys. Evan's 19 and be 20 soon and Cold's 14 and we're doing good now. We're doing good. Once I decided that I didn't want to be a victim anymore, I just wanted to get up and, you know, take my, hand, my life in my hands. And I was the only one in the end. I was the only one that could change that. And nothing. And it's like I said a while ago, like 
nothing's going to stop me at God's will, you know. I'm going to keep doing this until I can't anymore. Last year, I had a bout with cancer. I had a kidney removed. And I still kept going. Like, I knew even what those that news, I knew that it wasn't the end for me because I had so much more to do. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? Now for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crime analyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crime analyst for 10% off your first order. You've got more work to do and it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month and that's why it's also important to have these conversations. We know, Colette, that there will be other people listening to us and we're describing their lives. We're describing control that happens in their lives, coercive control, that they might not know what to do or how to get help or they might not be ready to. And again, leaving someone, as I always say, separating is a process that you have to think it through. If you have children, think about what you need for them and you have to set yourself up for success to be able to leave. And we know it takes someone seven times on average to leave successfully. So this conversation is such an important one. Your campaign, She Is Your Neighbour. Do you want to say something about that and let people know about it? Because it's a brilliant campaign. That just happened from me reaching out and people just lifting me up and trying to help me, you know? Like all these people, like 
I've been surrounded with so many beautiful people that have lifted me up and that have, you know, connected me to the right people. Like my friend from Toronto, I met her on Instagram and, you know, she's always trying to connect me. She's connected me with these beautiful people in New York and then she connected me with this lawyer in, in Waterloo. She told me about these people from Waterloo that had this campaign. And he said he really wanted to connect me with them. So we just added each other, started following each other on LinkedIn. And then I told him one day that I was going to Waterloo and that I was going to Ontario in the summer. And I always wanted to meet all of them, right? Because I could never meet enough people. I just want to do this. I just want to meet. The more people I meet, the better it is because it just suits my soul. And all of a sudden he sends me a message and he says that, Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo, they have a podcast. It's called She Is Your Neighbor. They want to meet you. Like they want, you know, and then all of a sudden we have this Zoom call and they're doing a special, you know, they have a podcast, but they're doing a special podcast, which would be a short documentary. And it just happened that I was going to Toronto at the same time they were planning on doing this. So they, we had a Zoom. They interviewed me to see if it was a fit for what they were planning on doing. And as soon as I shared my story with them, they said, this is what we want to do. So I flew out there, they picked me up and they they just made me feel like a queen for that day. And they've taken me under their wing. I was so happy that I could do that for them because this is like my gift to the world. This is my gift to the world. I was able to share. And now it's like unbelievable all these things that are happening. I'm also, I work with outreach services all around in every area. The Indigenous communities have just taken me under their wing and made me their own. And I'm so grateful to all of them. I have Love Shouldn't Hurt here in New Brunswick. They help me financially, you know, like where I need to go. Like I get help with them. I'm still trying to get that big job that I'll be able to do this all around the world. And uh, hopefully that'll come. And I know some people are worried, you know. Yesterday I got an email. I'm going to do a danger assessment training next week so I can prepare for all that stuff. People just want to make sure that I'm safe. And I understand that. Uh, Love shouldn't hurt. That's with the Department of Justice. And they've been really good to me. I can't say enough. Like people have just been beautiful. I have, when I heard about, Bill 17, I'd never heard about Clara's Law before. And this young girl from the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton contacted me and she said, have you ever heard of Clara's Law? And I said, really? And then she started explaining it to me and she said, I would love if you would try and get this passed. And she said it would help so many people. So I started calling everywhere. I called out local MPs and MLAs and stuff. And they started working on that with women's equality. And, and before I knew it, it was a second reading and I was going to be there. They invited me there to watch it. They gave me a standing ovation. December 16th of 2022, it was given royal assent. That was the most beautiful, that was the most beautiful day. Such an incredible and powerful and accomplishment for all of us. Absolutely. Well done. And for those who are interested in that, you can read more about it. It's called the Disclosure to Protect Against Intimate Partner Violence Act. 
And as you said, Colette, you've been a, a key part of that, getting royal assent in 2022. And it, it really does mirror Claire's law. And Claire Wood was a 36-year-old who met somebody online, had a relationship with him, didn't know his history. This was in Salford in Manchester in the UK. She didn't know his history. It was a very short relationship, six months. He was abusive, coercively controlling. He attempted to rape her, really horrific things. She did tell police. She told her father, and he was an ex-prison officer, and she ended the relationship, but he carried on stalking her. And then he raped her, he strangled her, and he set her body on fire. And every time, I mean, it's just a horrific case. It was in 2009. I remember it incredibly well because I went up to Manchester. They had a number of murders and I spent a lot of time with the police trying to train them there, retrain them on risk because nothing was joined up. So when she was reporting him, his name was George Appleton, they weren't joining up the history, even though he had a long history of violence towards women. Now, he had told Claire that he just had motor vehicle offences, driving offences, but it wasn't, and there was no proactive investigation. And so her father, Michael Brown, he asked questions about what was being done and why wasn't his history joined up, and that's where the domestic violence disclosure scheme, Claire's Law, originally came from, and I was part of lobbying for that, which, you know, I'm so glad to hear. You used your voice to bring that in in Canada. It's statutory now in the UK, Part of our challenge is still not having this positive obligation to look at someone's history and to put that information on the database, to have this central repository that is national. And I hope that Canada learn can learn some of the lessons of what we need to tighten up in the UK and obviously for Canada to learn what works, the best of it. But I'm really pleased to hear ours was in 2014 and yours is 2022. So well done. That's really good news. The reason it was so important for me is I knew that it was a preventative measure. So if we could find out, you know, I only found out that my ex had charges for breaking the job of his ex-girlfriend when I went to trial. That's when I found out. I didn't have any way of knowing about his past or whatever he did before because nobody, he was from Montreal. I was from New Brunswick and like, there was no way of me knowing. Like, I remember like, the morning after he nearly killed me, his mother called and, and told me how sorry she was for what her son had done to me. And I could hear the father in the back yelling to shut her effing mouth because I was going to put his son in prison. His son put himself in prison. Correct. Had nothing to do with me. And that's what was going on. So for me, like that, Law was very, very important because if I would have known, I could have made an informed decision before and maybe it wouldn't have got us here, but then it got us here so I could do this today. And I know that's what it is now. And also, like, I think it's very, it's so horrific that you have those trials and then, like, I was reading through my trial transcripts and stuff and, you know, like the sentencing report, I could not believe the people that wrote character references for that guy after they knew what he had done to me. I could not believe like their names were all there and they're all people that I know and people that I spent a lot of time with. They wrote character references for him. It's mind-blowing to me. It, it really is. I can't believe people and all the people like 
people that help these people are as responsible as the ones that do it because they're not there for a tea party. They make all these things, they hide everything, they plan all these things. And that's not right. People have to stand up and they have to say, like when they see something happening, they have to stand up and say, enough is enough. You're not doing right. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can only be a little thing. People have to get up and say, that's not right. And you stop that right now. And we need like male allies. We need like, even if it's a man that hurt me, I don't blame on every, you know what I mean? It's not every man that I don't feel like it's all the men. Like maybe some do, but for me, it's like I have three beautiful boys and I want to think that my boys are going to be awesome men. But you know, it doesn't matter who it is. And, and we know that it can go both ways on some accounts. But for me, it's like reading through those files and seeing that these people had written some character references for this man was just mind-blowing to me. And it's like another portrayal, isn't it, of, you know, how when he's done this, can they see him in a different light? And whether that talks to his level of manipulation and charm and ability to pull the wool over people's eyes and create this kind of persona that's very different from who he actually is, that might be part of it. But I do think it takes all men all men to stand up and say, this is not acceptable. So when people answer and they tweet me saying, but it's not all men, Laura, I always say, but it takes all men. It takes all of you to stand up. It's not for women to fix the problem of male violence. And I say that in training this morning, I say it all the time. Women are not responsible for violent men. Men need to hold other men to account. And then maybe we start to get somewhere. Maybe when we have a male violence strategy led by men, that it's not women and it's not women's safety issues. We need men to step up and be the change that needs to happen. For our sons, I have a young boy, I have a toddler, and I want him to have great male role models around him, right? But if he's subjected to the Andrew Tates of the world, if there are influencers that are bringing misogynistic content and that's what's permeating, well, there's a report out today, Colette, by Women's Aid, that shows that that online misogynistic content directly underpins domestic violence, it says that women don't matter. And when you've got domestic violence being seen as the standard, the unhealthy relationships, the unacceptable becoming the norm, that's when you get these blurred boundaries of is it love, is it control? And too often than not, young girls and boys think that control and jealousy is love. And that's how they express themselves. So we've got a lot of work to do around the, the early years with children and age-appropriate education. You mentioned education right when we started you said, I didn't know any different. So the younger generation, that's where we need to also educate, not just dealing at the most serious end. In my view, you have to do it all. You can't just pick you know, one part. You've got to do it all. Right. And it should start very young because you know a lot of people don't even know that this is going on. Like, and some people think it's normal. They wouldn't even know. You know what I mean? So, And that's what I've been pushing for, to be in schools, to try and share my story. And then you know, my story is very graphic, so I wouldn't want to traumatize people, but this is real life. This is really happening. This is happening behind closed doors. It's happening everywhere. And we need to catch those kids young enough to know that it's not right so we can make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's happening to children. 
in families, but it's also happening in plain sight. And that's the part, all of it, what happens behind closed doors, but also in plain sight online, that's where we have to have the accountability too. So I'm I'm really glad that you're doing this advocacy, trying to get into schools as well. I think age appropriate, there's always things that you can share about what's healthy, what are the healthy characteristics of a relationship, what's unhealthy, so that we let younger people in and collaborate with them about healthy relationships. If they have a domestic abuser in their home or a coercive controller, they're like sponges. They're picking up all this stuff and they're going to behave like that out in the world. And we can pick this up really early on. So there's a lot of work and there's so much for all of us to do. And I hope this is the first of a collaboration with you and your changing laws. I'm hoping that there will be a coercive control law in Canada. Do you want to say something about that? I was on a a panel a couple of weeks ago with uh, Justice Canada. So I was able to share my views on coercive control and tell them how I felt and, and what happened to me and stuff. And that was very powerful. It was a very, it was a really, really powerful experience and really like a educational experience for me. I hope to be able to do that more. Well, that's exactly where your voice needs to be heard with the decision makers and decision takers that can create this change. And that's why we have to do it all. It's the law change that says, like in Queensland, with their women's minister saying that domestic violence is this serious, coercive control is this serious, we need a coercive control law. And as I said to my trainees this morning, eight years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about coercive control had the law not have changed in England and Wales. And that's the difference that it makes. It creates a language, a framework a protective piece of legislation to get in early, to intervene and prevent. You know, we know in Canada, a woman's killed every six days. And that's not talking about the near misses like you. He had that intent, but you survived because you're an incredible, incredible human. And you're using this as your superpower. In the UK, it's every three days a woman is killed by a male former partner or current partner. In Australia, it's every week. In the US here where I'm talking to you, it's four to five women every day. It's a global problem. And that's why working with people collaboratively, what I can share with you, what you can share with me. And I love the fact that you're into the connections and who knows what might come from that. And I hope that you do find your dream job. You know, if I can be part of that, I do deliver a lot of training and do lots of things. And if I can be part of connecting you, helping you, then please know that I am your friend and I can help you. We connected on Instagram and the power of social media, bringing people together. And I know we're going to do some great things in the future together. I um, I just want to say that the short documentary is going to be in New York for the Social Impact Film Festival. So I'm really excited about that because that's going to open more doors and more people have been able to see it. So I think we're on the right track. We've still got a long way to go, but these the impact and the reach that you can have, you know, of getting to millions of people that she's your neighbour, it means it could be any one of us and you never really know what's going on for someone. So if you take your time to ask questions and understand that a lot of abuse, a lot of coercive control, it's invisible. And we know that 51% of victims don't see themselves as victims. But if we're looking for control-related behaviours, does she have autonomy? Does she have freedom? Is she living under rules and regulations of someone else? Is she being dominated by someone else? Does she have her agency? Does she feel safe? You know, questions that people can ask. So 
Thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing your story. And my last thing to say is that, is there anything else that we haven't talked about in this? We'll talk again, but is there anything you really wanted to mention that we haven't talked about? I think we covered most of that and we could do this again anytime. I would really like to, because there are some questions for me about him and his release, but I think we should cover that. I want to center you in this because for me, that's a very important thing to do, to center your voice and you in, in this. So if you'd come back and talk to me, I would like to hear a lot more about him and just the psychology and what you understand of him and why he was released and what happened at court and what the sentence was. Some of these more sort of the technical questions around your case, if, if you're happy to do so. Of I would love to do that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Colette, for your time. I know it's the first of many conversations and whatever I can do to help connect you or in terms of training, even maybe there's a podcast or maybe there's a, a documentary there. I don't know whether you've already been thinking about that, but telling stories and empowering w women to tell their stories and being given the microphone, very important part of our healing journey as well. Whatever we can do to get this message out, that's what I want to do. So I'm open to any ideas. I'm meeting with a friend next week to uh, look at what I have written so we could make a book or publish a book or whatever. I've been approached by some producers to make a movie. So we'll see where that goes. Like I'm, the more I can share, the better it is for me. And this is what it's all about. So I just want to share my story with the world. Absolutely. And finding the right way and the right people, what chimes with you and feels good, really important part of that process. So yes, I'm interested to hear more about that. Being in, in Los Angeles and helping the Dirty John story come to pass and the first wife, Tonya, tell her story, which was incredible and ensuring that your voice is the central piece and that things, if it turns into a movie or an unscripted, that it's not distorted in a way that doesn't make sense or honour you, the survivor. Because I say that a lot to writers, that the drama is enough in the tension and everything that's happened. You don't need to add other variables in. So there are always things to think about when you're on this journey. You know, and what I tell everybody who's thinking about doing more, ensure that you're surrounded by the right people to do those things in the way that feel good to you. And women telling their own stories, you know, female directors, female producers, how you're handled on set, how you're, you said you were, you were treated like a queen. I was so pleased to hear that when you did uh, She Is Your Neighbour. Yeah, they were just perfect. You know, it was surreal for me to get, I wasn't expecting that. I've never done anything like that before. And I was treated like I mean, they were really good to me. Really good to me. And I want to do that more. Like anywhere I can go to share and and for people to open their eyes and and see that this is what's happening. And I am your neighbor. You no, know, that's it happened to me. So and I'm sure that us collaborating could open more things, you know, and you could help me with that stuff, you know? Absolutely. You know, and the power of a podcast as well, it's so intimate when people hear you or, you know, on YouTube, where they can watch you and see you or in a documentary, it, it's so powerful. So we will definitely speak again. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Laura. Wow. Okay. So I'm jumping back in here to wrap part two. 
of this powerful conversation. I really feel it's incredibly powerful and also brings hope. And I hope that you feel the same. And again, I just want to pay tribute to Colette, who is sharing her story and she's still working through everything that's gone on, all her trauma to share her story, to help others. And it's just incredibly selfless to do that. And for those of you, if you're going through domestic abuse or being subjected to domestic abuse or coercive control or stalking, please know you're not alone. There are helpline numbers in the description below this episode. And also I'm including my information, my website, www.thelaurarichards.com, that's got information on there about coercive control and stalking and lots of information if what to do if you think somebody's being abused or coercively controlled or what to do if you think you are or am I being abused or controlled. And as you heard Colette say, she didn't know at the start, so many don't. So please do use my website, also the dashriskchecklist.com website, where I've put a lot of information about the risk model, the DASH, the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment and honour-based violence risk model. It's a mouthful. That's why it's shortened to the DASH. There's lots of information on there. Also, if you want to get trained, I am running masterclasses. So please email laurarichardspa at gmail.com. The last thing to say is thank you for watching and please stay safe. It is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. That's why it's such an important conversation to be having now. It's a lifeline conversation. And I say that because I know it saves lives. Until next time, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instincts. Here's my final thought and ask before the episode wraps. I really appreciate you listening to Crime Analyst. And if you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to me. It really helps others find me and my work, and it helps with the ratings too. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrood. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.